session that I wanted to start with, and I've forgotten them all. I'm thinking, oh yeah, we want to do Q&A first. I'm so grateful for your patience with me. Uh, I just feel like I'm half here, so I, I'm so I'm sorry uh, for that. But thanks for your patience with me. Uh, oh, I, I know, I did want to make some announcements. So, um, let's see, Trinetta's in the back. Trinetta's coming to Germany with us this summer. We're gonna do yeah, we're gonna do a Germany trip to go see uh, uh, Steps of Martin Luther. It's last day of May and then June. So if anybody wants to come, I think we have twelve. Carrie told me we have twelve spots open on that trip. Um, we're uh, Dr. Fikensher is gonna be there with us. I don't know if you guys know Carl Fikensher and Claire. And so we have two buses of people. I think we have eighty-seven or eighty-eight people signed up or something crazy like this. So like over Germany for a couple of weeks. We'll go to the Bach Festival in Leipzig. And then if you get a chance to do this in your life, on the, the, the Saturday closest to, I think, June 13th, the city of Wittenberg has a marriage festival of Martin and Katie Luther. And so the whole old city turns into like a renaissance festival and they're roasting like turkey legs and dressed like Vikings and all these Germans are drunk going in this parade. They have actors dressed up like Martin and Katie Luther and Melanchthon and John the Steadfast walking around town. It's wild. So we're going to go there for that. So that'll be fun. We're going to go to Utabog, which is as close as the indulgence selling ever got to Wittenberg. Because, and this is so interesting to me, that there was never any indulgences in Wittenberg because Frederick the Wise didn't want anyone encroaching on his relic business because he had all these relics. And you know when he would put these relics, they, they found a, like a museum pamphlet of his relics. And they said that if you did the right devotion in all of the relics that, that uh, Frederick the Wise had, that you'd get something like 1.2 million years out of purgatory. All these crazy relics. They had straw from the virgins, uh, from the from the cradle. They had milk from Mary. I don't know how they kept that around. So you know when Fred, you know when we put those relics out on All Saints Day, November first. So Wittenberg would have all these people coming on pilgrimage to visit on November first. So it's the night before that that Luther posts the 95 Theses. So it's all connected. It was all, it was very intentional. So we'll get to do some of that. Another announcement is that um, uh, oh yes, a number of you are participating in the worldwide Bible study. So, yeah, go worldwide Bible class. It's an online class that's every Wednesday at 10 o'clock that is studying the life of Jacob with Martin Luther. So. We read a little bit of Genesis, and then we read Luther's commentary on it, which is marvelous. I mean, it's so so nice. For, I, I'm not really teaching. I'm just reading Luther. And so, if you're free on Wednesday mornings at 10, you can join us for that. We record the episodes, too. So, I think wolfmuller.co slash Bible is there. And when you're hanging around the website, there's a newsletter that we send out on Wednesday, Wednesday, whatnot. And you can sign up for that, too. So, it's wolfmuller.co. I couldn't afford the M. <laughs> Someone has Wolfmuller.com. I don't know. And Wolfmuller.com. All that. So anyway. Um, okay. Um, we talked. Let's see. Let's just review what we've covered so far. And then um, 
and then we'll do Q&A. What are the odds I'm going to end up in this baptismal font by the time we get I think they are pretty high, actually. Um, first lesson, we talked about the conscience, what it means, what informs a conscience, what it's there for, how everybody is acting from a conscience, and uh, even if we don't know it, the conscience is driving so much. We talked about the things that influence the conscience, and then it's one of the things to recognize that our culture then is shaped up in a way like the anti-conscience. It wants to fight against the conscience that God is creating to be right and good, to deliver a different kind of conscience. Then we talked about in the second session, uh, sort of the state that we're in, and we made the point that the sexual revolution and the gender revolution are not anything new. The basic phenomenon behind the two is Gnosticism. And that the church has faced Gnosticism before. And so we're not, we're not afraid of this. I was, oh yeah. So we're going to do question and answer about those two things so far. And then, and then we want to talk about um, martyrdom. And for that, I want to look at the Sermon on the Mount. But let me see what questions you have so far. Yes, sir. That's right. That's right. Yeah. What, which, which of us can go to bed at night and say, I love my neighbor like myself? So our conscience not only tells us the, the wrong things that we have done, it also reminds us of the right things that we haven't done. That's the, that's the guilt of failing to do things. And I was, um, when was this? I was sitting with someone who had a, ooh, man, they were dying. And they had a hard conscience. There's a parent of one of my members. And uh, it was so funny because normally when, you're, you, when you deal with people, it's the older people who are Christian and, they're, and they wish that their kids went to church more. This was the opposite. She was, she's like, ah, my, my kids are kind of Jesus freaks, you know? It kind of weirds me out. And I was trying to get to the law. And she just put me off, put me off, put me off. And then so finally I asked this question. Do you have regrets? And all of a sudden that was a way into the conscience. Because there's the things that we did that we regret doing, that we didn't do, that we regret not doing. And that, that door of regret was a way into the conscience. This is one of the marks of the conscience. Because we all have regret, right? Things that we wish we would have done, but we didn't, especially. And the problem is when people that we love die, then we, we have all these regrets about the things that we didn't say, things that we didn't do. And how are we, this is a good example, how are we normally trained to deal with regret? What's that? Wallow in it. If, some, if you went to your friend and you say, boy, say uh, your kids are grown, and you say, I wish I would have... I wish I would have been there more for my kids. You someone You have to let to change it. You can't go back. But you did what you could. You tried. You you were fine. I wish I would have been there more for my mom when she was dying. Now she's dead. You can't do anything about it. Well, you did what you could. You were there. You know this way. I. This is another thing where where I think I. This is not what they taught you at seminary. When people say, when they tell you their regrets, 
They're right. I wish I would have loved my family more. Right? You should have. But that's why Jesus had to die. That's why Jesus... We, we think of ourselves... Like the death of Jesus doesn't make sense to us because we're like, well, we're not that bad. No, we are that bad. There's so many things that we should do that we don't do. So the, the only way out of regret is through the cross. You know, you can talk yourself out of it like, oh, I did what I could. But you know that you didn't. You didn't love like you should. You didn't care like you should. You, you weren't there like you should have been there. That's the, it's true for all of us. The only way out of the mess, out of the quagmire, is through the kindness of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins. So that Jesus died to forgive our regrets. Uh, very good. Other questions? Yes, sir. So, on the concept of tolerance and, uh, you know, acceptance of uh, transgenderism and all that sort of thing, one of the things I wrestle with is the concept that some of the reason that the society is embracing that is because particularly in youth, Mm-hmm. And that uh, this is an important thing for both mental health mm-hmm. in order to make sure that people, uh, you know, are not uh, taking their own lives. Right. How do we reconcile that kind of concept? That's a good question. Well, so the question is transgenderism and suicide. And it's true that there is a lot of suicide and that suicide is a growing pandemic. Um when we lived in Colorado, my daughter Hannah, her first two funerals that she went to were suicides. It's amazing. And it's much more uh, prevalent, especially with people who have um, transgender temptation. Suicide is a, is, a, is a pretty common thing. It doesn't go away when it's treated because, you, because we can see that the problem is when your body and your mind are at war with one another, then... The, it's headed towards suicide, right? I mean, that is the final act of victory over the body. And we should recognize that suicide was only considered wrong in Christian, Jewish, and Muslim cultures. And not even Muslim. I mean, Muslim has the idea of jihad. So that Jewish and Christian cultures were the only ones that considered suicide to be wrong. And pagan culture considered suicide a good, noble option. So a lot of the pagan kings would kill themselves, uh, and it was an act of honor. So the first response that we should have when, when people bring up suicide is, God be praised that you're against suicide, <laughs> right? I mean, that our culture, I mean, it's only halfway now. We only half recognize suicide as an evil. Uh, my wife Carrie, uh, when we were flying a couple weeks ago, she was watching a movie, and it was about a, a young boy who ended up committing suicide, like a euthanasia kind of thing at the end of his life. And she was just weeping on the plane. I looked over, and I was like watching Rocky Four or something. And I look over, and she's weeping. What's wrong? And she watched this movie that was about a, a boy, I guess, who had an accident, and he was kind of severely injured. But there was a girl who was helping take care of him, and she was so sweet, and she was giving him joy and peace. And then he went with his family to kill himself. And it was supposed to be a beautiful thing. 
It, that's how it was presented in the movie. So this is the way that, that... That's why the word euthanasia is what it is. Boy means blast or good, and thanatos means death. So this is the good death, the blessed death. So our culture, on the one hand, is, a, is for suicide, physician-assisted suicide, and yet, on the other hand, it's against it. But that half of our culture that is against suicide for now, we should be very happy about. Because I don't think in five, ten years it's going to be even a problem. Like, people are going to say, suicide is not a thing. And it makes sense. If you think that dead is dead, then death is a way to escape the pain and suffering of this life. So you get a guy... I mean, just to think of it. Say, say you're a total pagan. You don't believe in the afterlife. Totally secular. And you just want to give yourself over to the basis of lusts and whatever. You're like um, this, what, this wicked man, uh, Epstein. It's just, you know, your whole life is debauchery and, and wicked, evil, filthy nonsense. And then you, you are arrested and you're like, well, it's over. Well, now, who knows what happened, but you, it, it's, you just can end it and then it's over. So you don't have to pay the price for your crimes, right? So, so that suicide is a way out. It's a really, it's a, it's a really bad thing because then there, there's no judgment. When we look at, uh, well, okay. So back to the transgender thing. It was, it's good to prevent suicide. So we agree on that. So then we're just going to say, what's the best way to do it? And one of the things that we have to realize is that you cannot get to happiness or contentment by aiming for it. It's always a consequence. It's never a goal. So if we make happiness or contentment or joy or whatever, if that's what we're trying to grab a hold of, we'll never get it. Uh, remember the guy who told me, I want to divorce my wife because I want to be happy, right? Well, you're not going to be happy. You're going to be just as unhappy as you are now and divorced. The, the happy, you cannot get to happiness by aiming for it. It can never be the goal. That's why the Lord put it at the end of the commandments. So we've got to go through all the other commandments and then happiness waits at the end. Contentment. So if someone is really struggling with, with um, thoughts of self-harm, self-murder, and things like this, we want to take it very seriously. But we want to take it seriously enough that we don't just say, well, what this means is you, you, you have to do whatever you want to do, because that won't actually fix the problem. I heard of a family who, this is one of the things, that was a kid who was like, I'm a boy, I think I'm a girl, and if you don't call me Sheila or whatever, I'm going to murder myself. And now the family's like, well, what do we do? We're held hostage by the threat of violence. Our whole culture is now held hostage by that threat of violence. So we have to say, look, look, look don't kill yourself. That's really bad. But also, let's look at how God has ordered the world because that's the only way to end up happy. I don't know if that helps. It's very hard. The, the, uh, there's also, I mean, just the statistics show that when you get, like, gender-affirming therapy, or it doesn't help. So the, the rate of suicide continues to be... Because, it's again, it's what makes sense. If I'm at war with my body, that war ends when I triumph, you know, through murdering it, when I kill the enemy. 
So the whole thing is set up to end that way. Yeah. Other? Yes. wonderful question. Can I show you Romans chapter 1? Sure. The question was, how do we deal, the young people are growing up in this and it's very normal for them. How do we come in and say something helpful to the young people who are being kind of shaped up with this ideology? The Lord's solution for all of this is so astonishingly simple that it will it just blows your mind. Uh, it seems too simple. It almost is like that's it. We're faced with these humongous cultural problems of the sexual revolution and redefinition of marriage and gender conflict and all this sort of stuff. What are we supposed to do? The Lord says that there's one thing that you need to do to counter all of this. And it is well, let me show you. I should tell you, shouldn't I? It's to be thankful. Thankfulness. That's the Lord's antidote to all of the trouble. <laughs> you guys don't believe me. I can see it on your face. You're like, no, that's wrong. That's too easy. So look at Romans chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 18. Well, look at verse 16 because it's pretty good. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For the Jew first, also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's the verse that is um, that exploded in the imagination of Martin Luther and resulted in the Reformation. That's the text. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they're without excuse. Because, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. See it? Nor were they thankful. But they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God to an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So God gave them up to their uncleanness, in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. 
For even women exchange their natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which is their due. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. There's a word in there that is used, um, <coughs> malicious. That word malicious in verse 29, I think, there's a, I think that's the word. There's a word that means uh, haters of humanity. And it was used to describe the Romans who would have the babies that they didn't want and they'd leave them out. So that they just leave out the children to die. They, they, they couldn't kill them in the womb, they'd just kill them afterwards. That's, so all the stuff that we have now, it's all just listed there. But what did it start? How did it start? All the, it, all the things of God were known from the beginning, but they didn't recognize God as God and they didn't give thanks. So that the, that the, the Christian response to all of this is to recognize that God is God and to be thankful. Now that's actually pretty nice. We don't have to be angry or upset or afraid or despondent. We have to be thankful. And the, and the first thing to be thankful for is for our own bodies. This is part of the first article of the creed. Remember, I believe that God has made me and all creatures that he's given me my body and soul, my eyes, ears, all my members, my reason, all my senses, and still takes care of it, so that we recognize that the first gift of God is the gift of our body, and we're thankful for it. What is transgenderism except for a lack of thankfulness for the gift of your body? Wow. And, and then it goes on to our, our sexual nature and the family and everything else like this. But, uh, it's one of the problems is when you hear the news, I'm pregnant, and instead of being thankful, you're afraid. We should be thankful for the gift of the babies. That's where abortion is. It's a, it's a, it's a lack of thankfulness for the gift of a child. So all of this idolatry and corruption is at the root a lack of thankfulness. So as we go out of here and we're like, well, how do we, how do we act in this culture? That this is what we're called to be, is a people of thanksgiving. To be thankful for the neighbor, to be thankful for the, the day that God gives, to be thankful for the body, to be thankful for our spouse, or to be thankful for our family, to be thankful for all these things. And then, now, when it comes to the children, to teach them also to be thankful for the gifts that they've given, that they've been given. It's a, it's a terrible way to live, is to lack thankfulness. But how many people, how many, so if this was then our goal, to say when I die, uh, in a couple hours here, I'll see how we're doing. But I die and you guys are like, okay, you know, what's the one word to describe Pastor Wolfmuller? And you would say, well, uh, coughing, <laughs> sneezing, joking. No, this is a, would that the word would be thankful. That for each one of us, that, that, that the, they were, they lived their life of thanksgiving. And so we're thankful to God. So here, okay, here is, Here's a prayer from Martin Luther. This is Luther on Genesis. I found this in our Worldwide Bible class. 
talking about Jacob, he says, I believe in God who's created me a man, and I shall thank him that I have his word and that it has pleased him for me to be a husband, to be a wife, in order that I may bring up offspring and govern the household, that through the gospel I have the promise of eternal life and consolation in this present life. So that the, so that the, the goal is to be thankful for the gifts that God's given. We can even be thankful for all of these heresies. I was talking with Pastor Clemmer about this yesterday. Because we have heresies in the church and outside the church. And it's important for us to recognize like wokeism is a heresy. Transgenderism is a heresy. And that helps because like, well, we know what to do about that. We've had heresies before. You confess against it. But to even be thankful for the heresy, why? Because first of all, it pushes us back to the scriptures. So we can say, well, what is a man and what is a woman really? Not from our culture or our history, but from the Bible. And then, once we have that confession clear from the Bible, we thank God for that, then we have an opportunity to be courageous as we speak what the Lord speaks against the cultural milieu. It's not often in life that we actually have an opportunity to be courageous about stuff. So when these errors come along, it's a, we get thank, thank you, Lord, for giving me the opportunity to, to be courageous and stand up against it. Here's, the, here's Luther's prayer. Lord God, I am thy creature created a man by thee and ordained to this kind of life in which I am now constantly entangled in many evils and difficulties but grant that I may truly acknowledge that I am thy creature and that thou art my father and creator and grant that I may await help and protection from thee so this prayer I am thy creature it's first article stuff right that we're made by God okay is that, is that helpful? So we're, so we're training the kids. If here's the kids that says, Oh, I think I'm a really, uh, I'm a lady, I think I'm a dude, or whatever. Oh, it'd be better to be thankful for the body that God's given you. That's the, that's the way out. And, that's, and it's, it's so positive, right? I mean, it's not like they'll say, Oh, okay, never mind. You know, I mean, it's probably a lot of conversation and stuff. But that at least gives us an, uh, what we're headed for, is to be able to receive... Everything that we have is a gift from God. Uh, to that end, let's look at the Sermon on the Mount and the Martyrs. Can we do that? So, Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> Jesus has nine blessings for us. And uh, it's not what you think. Because I, I was trying to preach this a couple of weeks ago. If you can imagine like you're sitting on a bench in a park with Jesus and you're watching all these people and you're trying to figure out who's blessed. And you're like, look at that person. They look blessed. They're happy, confident. And Jesus is like, nah, look over there. There's someone who's poor in spirit and miserable and mourning. They're blessed. So Jesus sees us very differently than we see ourselves, right? There's nine blessings here. Uh, if we could divide it this way, the first four are about faith. The second, the set of three is about love. And then the last two are about hope. Okay? So the first four are about how we stand before the Lord. And it's anti-Pharisee stuff. We're not proud, lifted up, haughty, wise in our own sight. No. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. There's this kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek, 
They will inherit the earth. Blessed are the hungry and thirsty for righteousness. They'll be filled. So this is our life of repentance and faith. And then Jesus says, now how are you going to live with each other? That's the next three. We are to be merciful, pure, and peacemakers. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Wow, that's pretty nice. God's sons. He always wants sons, not slaves. So we live before the world in mercy and peace and, and, and pure heart. And you think, well, if we live that way in the world, it seems like things would go pretty well, right? If we, if we really were peacemakers, if we really were merciful, if we really were pure in heart, then it seems like our, we would be the favorite people for our neighbors. Not so. Look at what Jesus says next. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now we say, now hold on, Jesus, wait a minute. You're saying that the peacemakers, that the merciful, that, that the pure in heart are going to be persecuted? That doesn't make any sense. And then Jesus points to the cross. <laughs> That's what happens. In fact, he's going to underline it. Because for eight blessings, he's like, oh, that blessed, 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 blessed. And then he looks at you and he says, you are blessed when... Verse 11, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Wow. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're the salt of the earth. So that Jesus puts us in this world to be merciful, peacemakers, pure at heart. And the result is that the Christian gets persecuted. Now, Peter talks about this and he says, Now look, when you get persecuted for doing stupid stuff, that's not a blessing. <laughs> the blessing comes when you get persecuted for doing the right thing. Now here's the problem, at least for me. I grew up <clears throat> where good works were rewarded and evil deeds were punished. And that was really nice. For example, if I went through an entire church service without punching my brother, my mom would take us to McDonald's. <laughs> At least that's what she said would happen if it would ever happen. <laughs> I'm not sure if that was true, because I just don't know if we ever made it through a service. But that was the idea. You do good, and you get rewarded. You do evil, and you get punished. And we think, well, that's how the world works. Well, it's not how the world works. The devil is attacking your good works. The devil is motivated to let you get away with your sins and to never get away with doing something good. This is why some of you in your life have managed a good work once or twice and all hell broke loose, right? I remember one time I did a good work. Oh man, years ago. And in fact, I don't know how detailed I should... I, okay, I'll be detailed. I'm, I'm about that point of the day. I remember I was a baby pastor in Colorado, and we were coming up on our district convention. And, and I had all these kind of uh, tricky things I wanted to do, all these resolutions that would really stick it to people kind of stuff. 
And I realized one day, I'm like, oh, we have our voters meeting today, and I haven't done it at all. So I sat in my office and I said, okay, never mind all this trying to get after people and be mean. I'll just do something helpful and nice that'll, that everyone will be happy about. So I wrote a resolution that requested our district, would request the Synod, would, would request CPH to put the small catechism into the public domain. And so that more people can read the small catechism study. And I said, oh, that'll be great. It'll be great. Everyone will love it. And it was so peaceful. And all hell broke loose. It was amazing. I was at the back of the... Con I, and I was so innocent about it. I didn't think anybody would be mad. I was at the back of our convention a couple of months later, standing there in the hall talking to someone, and I hear this booming voice come down the hall, Where's Brian Wolfmuller? I had yelled at on the back of it for this thing, and I had to be... We, the person yelling at me, and me, had to be asked to leave the convention floor because it was a disruption, and then they went to the front of the convention and proceeded to yell at me, and this was... Like nine years of drama and chaos. It was crazy. Crazy. Dude, that's too much information, by the way. But seriously, the point is that I thought, hey, I'm going to try to manage to do something peaceful and nice. And it's... Now, this is how it works. It's persecution comes when we do the right thing. And Jesus says that we're blessed in that case. In fact, it's, he doesn't just say, you're blessed. He doesn't say, put up with it, endure persecution. I mean, Paul does say that. He says, to Timothy, endure persecution like a good soldier. So we are supposed to endure it. But it's more than enduring it. Look at what Jesus says. He says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. <laughs> now, how many of you, when you are troubled and afflicted, Rejoice and are exceedingly glad. Raise your hand. This is hard. It's very hard. But Jesus is saying that the Christian life is a troubled and persecuted life. And that it doesn't take away our joy, but in fact it gives us joy. I like to think of it like this. Sorry, I don't know what to do with this chair. I like the idea of sitting in it, but then I get too constraining. Uh... I think of it like this. Imagine if we were the enemies of St. Paul. Okay. I like this picture. You remember when Paul was in Jerusalem and he got arrested and there was those, the group of Jews who took a vow to not eat or drink anything until Paul was dead? That's kind of crazy. I wonder what those guys did like two months later when Paul's in Caesarea. They're like, ah, oh, forget it. You know? They took a vow not to eat or drink anything until Paul was murdered. Okay, so let's imagine that that's us. Imagine that we hate St. Paul so much that we got together here at church and we said, we got to get rid of Paul. We got to, Paul is the worst. I mean, he's short. He's always talking about Jesus. He's the, we got to, what are we going to do? So, of course, this mob has uh, Robert's Rules of Orders. So, one person says, I make a motion that we murder him. Second, yeah, let's murder him, murder him. And everyone's ready to go murder Paul. And, and except for one person says, well, uh, so discuss, point of discussion, I think it'd be great to murder him. I think it's a wonderful plan. The only problem is, I was reading this letter that he wrote to his friends at Philippi, and he wrote, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. We don't want to give him anything. We don't want him to gain. 
He says that for him to die will be a blessing for him, so we can't murder him because that'll actually be for his benefit. Okay. Well, what are we going to do? So someone says, well, let's torture him. Let's afflict him and persecute him. Second, yeah, let's go beat him to death, or beat him half to death and cause him all sorts of affliction. And then we're all excited about it until one person says, well, I also think that's a great idea. I want to be the first to punch him in the face. But here's the problem. I was reading this letter that he wrote to his friends in Rome where he said, count it all joy, brothers, when you suffer various kinds of persecution, knowing that persecution produces patience, and patience produces character, and character produces hope, and hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured his spirit into our heart. That he rejoices when he's afflicted. Alright, well, we can't murder him. We can't cause him trouble. What are we going to do? Someone says, well, I vote that we leave him alone. <laughs> I mean, that's about the worst thing that you can do to St. Paul. Just leave him alone. Imagine how frustrating that would be trying to get after St. Paul. Imagine how frustrating it would be for the devil to be trying to destroy St. Paul. Imagine how frustrating it would be for the devil for you. Because also for you to live is Christ. Also for you to die is gain. This is, the, this is the heroic faith of the martyrs. It wasn't even that they weren't afraid to die. It was that they, they looked forward to the gift of death. We were talking about thankfulness earlier. They were thankful for it. The two... Uh, I mean, and, and it makes you devil-proof. Uh, the two martyrs that Luther loved to talk about, I think the most, were Agnes and Agatha. So I think they've ended up in the in the uh, Martyr's Faith book. This is the one. Oh, Pastor Clement was very sweet earlier when he says that the books did not... I was supposed to bring them. It was my fault. He didn't want to throw me under the bus. But I totally forgot. So, uh, but this book you can get for free. Take Day Our Life, Martin Luther's Theology of the Martyrs. I'm going to read a little bit because this is just like a collection of what Luther thought about the martyrs. He loves to talk about Agnes and Agatha, who were these two young girls. One was like maybe like 13 or 16. The other was 21, 22, 23. Both of, they died about 100 years apart. Both of them were beautiful young girls who had committed to their lives to the church, kind of like pre-nuns. They weren't going to get married. They were just going to study the scriptures. And these Roman proconsuls wanted to marry them, and they refused to marry them because they were pagan, and also they weren't going to get married. And so these Roman proconsuls says, well, look, if you don't marry me, I'm going to martyr you for being Christians. Which doesn't seem like a real like romantic proposal. <laughs> you want to get married, or you want to burn at the stake? Up to you. you know? Well, they, these girls said, burn. In fact, I think it was <laughs> Agnes who said to the pro-council, like, don't you know that I can burn you to death? And she said, your fire lasts for like three hours. The fire, the one that's going to judge you, doesn't burn out. Zing. He said martyrs were assassins. So, Agatha is being, she's thrown in prison, and she's being led to, the, to be burned at the stake. And as she's going, the story says, she's skipping for joy. 
like a young girl, like a young maiden who's going to a wedding dance. Now she knows, she's 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. She knows she's going to be martyred. She's going to be burned to death. And she's skipping. You know, I, I'm not going to skip because that'll ruin the picture. Like, however she skipped, it was not like that, Pastor. Although that would be the best way to probably end up in the fall. Just to try to... You imagine a, a young girl skipping like she's going to a festival with garlands and flowers in her hair and a smile on her face because she, she's going to something wonderful. That's how Agnes went to her death. This impressed Luther so much. In his final sermon, <clears throat> he writes, he preaches about Agnes. I want to read you a few lines here. Now, Now think of, we want to think of it this way. It's not a faux joy. It's not a pretend happiness. It's a true joy knowing that for us to die is gain. The worst thing that can happen to you is the best thing that can happen to you. Can you imagine you're walking down the street? When I, you're walking down the street and some thugs drive up in a van with no windows and they grab you and they pull you in the back of the van and duct tape your mouth and they tie your hands and they take you to the Texas Roadhouse and drop you off with a gift card. <laughs> this is what the devil does when he kills us. Like, I'll show you, I'll take you to Jesus. Which is even better than Texas Roadhouse. Okay. Christ says, here's, this is Luther's last sermon. Preach an ice labor. Come visit with us this summer. <laughs> as a plug. Come to me. Christ says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Matthew eleven twenty eight. And it's as though he were saying, just stick to me. Hold on to my word and let everything else go. If you're burned or beheaded for it, then have patience. I don't know how to have patience when you're beheaded, but anyway, that's beside the point. If you're burned or beheaded, have patience. I will make it so sweet for you that you easily would be able to bear it. It's been written of St. Agnes, so Saint Agnes, that when she was led to prison to be killed, it was to her as if she were going to a dance. Where did she get this? Ah, only from this Christ, from believing the saying, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is to say, if things go badly, I will give you the courage even to laugh about it. Do you hear? If things go badly, I will give you the courage to laugh about it. And even if you walk on fiery coals, the torment shall nevertheless not be so severe and the devil shall nevertheless not be so bad. You will rather feel that you are walking on roses. I'll give you a heart to laugh. Even though Turk, Pope, Emperor, and everybody else be filled with horrible wrath and rage, only come to me. And if you're facing oppression, death, or torture because of the Pope, the Turk, and the Emperor are attacking you, do not be afraid. It will not be heavy for you, but light and easy to bear. For I give you the spirit, so that the burden from which the world, which for the world would be unbearable, becomes for you a light burden. 
For when you suffer for my sake, it's my yoke and my burden, which I lay upon you in grace, that you may know that your suffering is well-pleasing to God and to me, and that I myself am helping you to carry it along and giving you strength and patience to do so. So that we're given joy in the midst of all of the suffering. The, the Christian is a persecuted person. The church is a persecuted people. Just like the devil hated Jesus, he hates the people who follow Jesus. And yet, the Lord comes to us in the midst of that and gives us strength and patience and peace. Uh, this, by the way, is one of the good reasons to study the martyrs. So I want to commend that to you. And we have a few in the Bible. Stephen, for example, who prayed. Remember when he was being stoned to death in Jerusalem? He prayed the same thing that Jesus prayed. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so often the martyrs prayed the same thing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There's so many of these martyr stories that tell about how the, the gladiators who were there to kill the martyrs end up converting... When they see the nobility and fearlessness with which the Christians face death. Uh, I think there was a convert, a martyr, uh, 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 centurion convert in the story of Perpetua and Felicitas. Remember, this? they're some of the most famous martyrs, Perpetua and Felicitas. Perpetua was a, she was kind of a rich young girl from a noble Roman family. And she was a confirmand. She just had a baby. So she was in confirmation class with her brother. And uh, we don't know what, where her husband is. He doesn't come into the story ever. But they arrested the whole confirmation class and put him in jail. And Perpetua's father comes to her to visit her and, say, and says to her, What are you doing? You know, quit all this Christian nonsense. Just offer the incense to Caesar. And then go about your business. If you want to worship Jesus in private, fine. In fact, the father, the father comes to her and says, Don't you love me? Don't you love your mom? Don't you love your baby? You're going to leave your baby behind? It's not even that big of a deal. Just say Lord Caesar and be done with it. Perpetua actually wrote a journal of, about, of this whole thing. She has some wild dreams in prison. But she has this conversation with her father... It's quite beautiful. She says, Father, do you see the pot there in the room? This must have been in the prison cell. Maybe there's a chamber pot or something. Do you see the pot there? And her father says, yeah. She says, can you call it anything but a pot? And he says, no. He says, neither can I be named anything else than what I am. I am a Christian. I am a Christian. It's, my, it's who I am. And whatever that means, I'll suffer for it. So Perpetua is strengthening even the pastor who's arrested her brother and so there's all of them and they're eventually brought into the arena to be killed by the beasts and the Romans who are always very inventive about this kind of nonsense decided on this day that they'll have the man animals kill the men and the women animals kill the women and so they put a cow and I think a leopard out to kill Perpetua and it gored her and her maidservant Felicitas but it didn't kill her so finally they had to send in the gladiators to cut their heads or whatever and uh, and the gladiator came to Perpetua and he couldn't do it 
having seen her suffer with such joy and confidence in the Lord, she couldn't do it. And so finally, Perpetua, and I, I wouldn't recommend doing this, but she takes the sword and puts the sword to her neck. Do your duty. And she dies there. It's an amazing sort of story. Amazing. amazing or here's one more. This is my favorite of all time. Which I, this his story I tell. I hope that everyone knows about Romanus before you get to heaven. So if you've heard me talk about Romanus before, I'm sorry, but he's one of my favorites. He was a he was a pastor down in Caesarea, where Paul was in prison. A couple of generations later, and they were there was a big persecution in Antioch, and all the Christians were coming in there before the proconsul, and he would say, offer the incense and say, Lord Caesar, and they weren't doing it. No one was doing it. Until the proconsul says, what's going on? How come everyone's so faithful today? You know, normally this works. You just say, Lord Caesar, and half the Christians would do it. And they said, well, it's because Romanus is outside preaching to him in line. Romanus is out there and he's like, keep the faith. Confess Christ. He died for you. It's a gift to die for him. He's preaching to encourage them, right? So the proconsul says, bring me Romanus. So Romanus comes in there and... uh, and the proconsul says, don't you know that you're sending all these people to, to their death? And Romanus says, I'll gladly go with them. So the proconsul says, fine, kill them. And the soldier says, well, we can't kill them right now because we haven't had a trial. He's a Roman citizen. His name is Romanus. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's about as Roman as it gets. So the proconsul is like, all right, fine. So he starts arguing with Romanus. And Romanus is preaching Christ, confessing Christ. He says, shut him up. So they punch him in the face, knock his teeth out. They pull, for some reason, they pull his eyebrows off. And he's confessing Christ. He, the proconsul says, why are you worshiping these new gods instead of worshiping the ancient gods? Like, we do this new god, Jesus. And it says that, that Romanus took the occasion to explain the eternal generation of the Son of God. So he's like teaching a catechism class without teeth. Amazing. The proconsul says, just, you know, silence them. So they take a sword and they put the sword through Romanus's mouth. They put it in the cheek and through the other cheek. And they pull it out. And Romanus, <laughs> this is the best. Romanus says to the proconsul, ah, Sir, I thank you for giving me more mouths to praise my God. I give you thanks for giving me more mouths to praise my God. So they said, uh, they flailed them. You know, they would like take the side of the sword and flail their skin off. And the proconsul had to roast them, but they couldn't. They couldn't uh, get the fire started, so they put him in prison, and he died a couple days later. Now I think, you know, in the resurrection, all our scars and wounds and everything will be gone. But I don't wonder if the Lord will let Romanus keep his two extra mouths. So that we'll recognize him in the resurrection. And we're like, wait a minute. Here's a guy with three mouths. Are you Romanus? And he's like, I remember your story. I thank you. Can you imagine it though? That fearlessness with which the martyrs would face this, this suffering and this persecution. So we're set in the world to suffer. That's what it is. Not, not because we're troublemakers, but because we're peacemakers. Not because we're corrupt in heart, but because we're pure in heart. Not because we're vengeful, but because we're merciful. We're persecuted by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we receive that persecution as a gift from God. There's an old hymn. I think it's from St. 
Thomas Aquinas. That Luther quotes that Thomas Aquinas wrote a, a, about the martyrs, and it, and it has a line like this: "It says, unknowingly, they lead us to death." So that every moment of suffering, every moment of affliction, every moment of rejection is a moment closer to heaven, a moment closer to seeing the face of God, a moment closer to the glory that the Lord has ahead for us. And so it increases in us this longing, uh, this desire, and this and this thanksgiving. Uh, can we look at one more verse before we're done? Um, how are we doing on time? I, Pastor Clemmer, are we okay on time? I mentioned that we want to finish Revelation 12. So if we go back to Revelation 12, there's one word, one verse that I want to hone in on. Pastor Clemmer, how are we on time? I think Pastor Clemmer wants to break down. Is that right? Let's do one more verse and then we'll take a break. Is that okay? That'll be good. One final. <clears throat> uh, okay. We read Revelation 12 already, this vision of the devil being cast out of the heavenly throne. The problem is he was cast down to the earth. And look at what it says in verse 12. Rejoice, O heaven, you who dwell there and there, but woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. The devil's come down to you having great wrath. He knows his time is short. But, but, but. Look at verse 11. It says they, and that they is you. They overcame him. And there's three things. Now, this is pretty nice. The, the vision here is going to give us three things that together overcome the devil. And it doesn't just say that it, that it resists the devil or that it repels the devil. It's, what's the word there? It overcomes the devil. They overcame him by the word of the testimony by the blood of the Lamb, and they did not love their lives unto death. See it? The word of the testimony, the blood of the Lamb, and the not loving your life unto death. Every Sunday, you gather here, or wherever you go to church, for the word and the blood. That's what it's for. That's what you have in church. That's what the liturgy is. I've been trying to start the habit at St. Paul and Jesus' death in Austin of saying, uh, the word and the blood, every Sunday at 8 and 11. <laughs> the word and the blood. That's why we're there. We hear the word, we eat and drink the body and the blood. And why? Because that's how the devil's overcome. And why does he overcome? Because the same word spoken in heaven, remember, is now spoken to you. The same blood that testifies in heaven is now in your own conscience. You, you eat the same blood that is the evidence of the heavenly altar. And then the result is... You're not afraid to die. You don't love your life unto death. And that overcomes the devil. It's pretty amazing, actually. In these three simple things, the word and the blood and the not loving our lives unto death, the devil's overcome. Okay. So the martyrs give us courage and faith. Sorry. The martyrs give us courage and hope. Uh, the martyrs give us an example in their bravery of how we face persecution. And the martyrs show us how the devil's overcome. Let's take a break and we'll be back at what time? 3.30? 2.30? 2.30?
two thirty. Let's let's take a break and start back up at three thirty. We'll start again with questions to begin, and then we'll go all the way through. Thank you. Two o'clock now.